been in a series uh, called What's That, What's That Sound? We believe that from our church, there needs to be a sound. That God's given us a mandate as believers to not just be quiet, not just to take up space, but to, to really have a sound. We've talked about having a sound of preaching, which is evangelism. That's not just about me. It's about the people I'm connected to, the sound of praise. The Bible says God inhabits or he sits in or he lives in the place where he's praised. You want God to show up? Begin to praise him. God makes his home in the place that he's praised. There needs to be a sound of prayer. That we consistently have prayer and intercession teams. That there's consistently a sound of prayer before God. You know, the Bible says this, where two or three agree, any, as, as touching anything is possible or it can be done. When we ask in prayer according to his will, things happen. God doesn't do anything on the earth outside of the believer's faith-filled prayer. God's not just out there doing stuff. He does things in response. He relegates himself to do things in response to faith-filled prayers. Just, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we were in a service like this, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me uh, about somebody that had a shoulder, right shoulder, that God wanted to heal. And the word the Lord gave me was labrum. And it was embarrassing because I was like, is, is labrum in the shoulder? I wanted to make sure, like, labrum's in the shoulder. Am I hearing right? And uh, so someone confirmed, yes. And uh, this guy had a torn labrum. And uh, he lifted his, his hand. The, the power of God touched him. He got healed. He messaged me last week. He says, I'm completely, I'm completely healed. And it was, it was incredible. I thought, man, that's, that's awesome. Well... Since then, I had two other people that were in the same service that I was praying for him, but both of them received healing in their shoulders as well. So now we've got three people in one service that the power of God touched from one word. See, th this is what happens when the people of God come together. you, you got to understand this about the presence of God. When we come into unity together, things happen. Things happen. Everything that is impossible can become possible when we introduce the component of the presence of God. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, it says, When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted. And the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. We've been pulling our messages from this passage of Scripture when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. The Lord told him to march around the city seven times, once every day, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and then for them to blow the trumpet and to shout. Now, this is what's really interesting. I think we have to make note of this as we begin, is that it wasn't the shout that dropped the walls. It was obedience to God to shout. So it's not just about being noisy, it's about being intentional with what God's asking us to do. So when God said shout, they shouted, and the walls came. Now the next time they shouted, walls, the walls of their house didn't just fall down. Because they shouted in response to obedience. They obeyed and shouted, and God began to move. The presence of God is unlocked through our obedience. 
It says that, that they shouted, the walls came down, and they went straight in, and they took the city. Now, if you've been around here very long, you know this, that we believe our mandate as a church is to see city transformation. That everywhere that we have a location, that everywhere our dream center is, that God's asked us to see city transformation. So not just full buildings, lots of services, but we want to see the entire city transformed. But there's two parts to the scripture. It says they shouted and the walls fell. And then it says, and everyone went straight in. And I want to take the rest of our time to talk about those five words. That everyone charged straight in. When, they, when the walls came down, they went straight in. My, my family, we were just in California um, on spring break, and uh, we went to California Adventure, and and so uh, we were going there, and and um, it, it's you know it's it's crowds and people around, and we got the boys with us, and and so I told the boys, I said, hey, when I say stay close, I want you, I want you on me, like I want you to stay close. And uh, Jude, who's a little more inquisitive, he wants to know why we need to do things. He's like, why do we need to stay close? And I'm like, well, Jude, there's sketchy people here, all right, and so. If you're way out there, I, I, just, like, I, I just need you to stay close. So if I say stay close, just trust me. There's probably somebody sketchy around. So then he's like, well, what, what does sketchy mean? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, just stay close, all right? So, so we would do that if we're crossing a street or we're in a big crowd. I'd be like, stay close. Or I see someone that I'm just like, you know, I don't know. And so I stay close. And we get together as a family. We move together as a family. We would move in unity or we would move in agreement. Did you know that God's really concerned with the unity in which his church moves with? That it's really important to him for us to stay close to what he's doing and to what he says. It is too easy for us as kids to wander along or wander away at a distance from what God is doing. God wants his kids close. He, he, wants us to, he wants us to stay close. It was obedience that brought the walls down, and it was unity that took the city. There's two parts to this. It was, it was obedience that made the walls come down, but it was unity that took the city. It says they all charged straight in. You know, in, in I, just, I just stepped on my shoelace. Pause. I just wanted you to see my shoes. <laughs> so that's all right. They cut it off on the camera anyways. It's like, man, guys. Uh, it says they all, they all charged straight in. There was unity. Do you know that we are, and we live in the United States of America? Did you know you, you live? You live in the United States of America. The problem with that statement, and most of us, it even causes us to chuckle or laugh because we are anything but united. We live in the United States of America, but we are not united. We, we are more divided than we've ever been. We're divided in belief. We're divided in government. We're divided in education. We're divided in theology. We're divided even in Christianity, in, in, in our church. We are the United States of America, but yet we are divided. On July 4th, 1776, when Congress approved the Declaration of Independence and the United States were formed, there was two main things 
That if you, you study and you research, there was two main things that constituted why we could become the United States of America. The first was this, is that there was a shared or, shared or common belief system in the states that were being formed. So what they thought to be right, what they thought to be wrong, abolishing slavery, moving on from certain practices, they were united in this front. So they said, we're the united, common belief or common purpose. The second thing was kind of interesting, but it was shared or common language. That it was a lot of people that spoke English, got to, right? This, this is, if you, if you study this, this is one of the characteristics of why these states became the United States, because these states spoke the same language. Did you know that God is concerned with language? The Bible says in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue, which tells me that our words are very important. And language has always been important to God. You know, there's a crazy story in the Bible in Genesis chapter 11. It's way back in the beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament. It's about the Tower of Babel. Maybe some of you have heard about this story or pondered this story or been completely confused by this story. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. I love this. God came down to see what they were building. God came down to see what they were building. This is encouraging for me, for someone that I believe got my, my, I've given my entire life to build his church. So it's encouraging to me that God cares about what we build. God cares about why we build. God cares about what we build. And he says that the tower they were, he, the Lord came to see. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Okay, crazy story. Some, some theologians have said that literally they were building some type of idol structure. Some theologians believe that they were actually building a tower to heaven. That they were going to build a tower to heaven, and they say God said it wasn't impossible, so they could have reached heaven. I don't really believe that. I believe, there's another group of theologians or scholars that would believe this, is that what was impossible that God said that they could achieve is that they in unity could replace God. Not become God, but become self-sufficient. That unity was so powerful that they would say we would save ourselves. Now here's the thing, you can save yourself for a while, but ultimately... Ultimately, your own strength, your own willpower, your own, your, 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 your own ability will run out. And God saw that they had unity. So obviously, God recognizes the power of unity. And in that time, everyone spoke the same language. You wonder how, many got, how we got so many languages? It wasn't, it wasn't just a big explosion. Everybody started speaking different things. God scattered people. And he gave them different languages. 
But God said that if they were united in this purpose, that nothing would be impossible for them. Which tells me unity is very powerful. That if we all got together with the same mind and the same purpose, that we, we could do crazy things together. We could even do wrong things. Because there's a power in doing things together. We could do wrong things together and be powerful. So God said he was going to go down and confuse their language. Why was their unity wrong? The unity was wrong because of why they were building what they were building. It says this. It says that they wanted to build themselves a city. Can I help you with something? Whatever you build for yourself is not going to last. Whatever you're building for you, I'm just building the business. For, you better build it for him. Because at the end of the day, you can build a great business for yourself. But if you didn't build it for him, it will cause you to be empty at the end of that building. Because a good business doesn't fulfill you. God fulfills you. Success won't fulfill you. It'll feel good for a little while. And you can give all your effort and you can lose your family trying to be successful. So that you can be or build something for you. But at the end of the day, what you build will betray you. Because it will never be able to fill what God is designed or originated to fill. The, this verse highlights the power of unity and common purpose. When people come together and work towards a common goal, they can accomplish great things. But it matters why we build what we build. It says that they wanted to build for themselves a city so that they could make a name for themselves. They wanted to build a city for themselves so that they could make a name for themselves. Did, did you know that most of our world is out there trying to do this? That we're trying to make a name for ourselves. I talk to young people all the time. They're out there and, and, and you know, it come through our ministry. They say, man, I'm just trying to find myself. Pastor, I'm just trying to find, I just need like a couple, I need like a decade off of working. I just got to like find myself. No, you need to go find yourself a job. You need to go get some education. You need to put some hard work in and you'll find yourself, all right? You will, actually, the Bible says this, and this is what we teach our young adults. The Bible actually tells us how to find ourselves. The Bible says if you want to find yourself, you actually have to lose yourself. This is why there's no power in a lot of ministries and churches is because we are in church to make a name for us. Some of us, we all came to church today for different reasons, but some of us came for us. It's not totally wrong, but if it's not for him, it will never last. If, if, if you're trying to do something and you're trying to do, do something unto you, it will have a shelf life. But if you build something unto God, if you build something for him, if you build your family to glorify him, if you build your business to glorify him, if you build your life to glorify him, there is nothing that you can't do. Many people want God's blessings, but they don't want to do things God's way. So I want to build for me, and I want you to bless what I'm building. No, God blesses what's for him. They, I don't know where we got confused on where we are in the order. He's God, we're not. So all of us that are shaking our fist at God, mad at him, let me just tell you, he's still God, whether you're mad or not. 
which means there is a chain of command. There is an order of authority. I love my boys, but they are not in charge. They, they are a welcome addition to an already complete family. That's what we say. It's like, my bed is my bed. My home is my home. My room is my room. I love you. I'm going to give you the world. But what dad says goes. There is a, there's an order of authority. As soon as my son starts to buck up to me and say, let me tell you how to run this family. You're nine. I'm mad because you won't let me. You're nine. This is how a lot of us treat God. Don't you understand? I know how to run my life. I know how to build something unto me. It'll work for a minute. But that pleasure or that success will be short-lived. The only thing that remains is what is built for him. So you have to be real careful about what you're building or maybe why you're building it to make sure that you're not just building it. I talk to pastors all the time. Do you know some pastors build churches for a name? We can't build God's house for our name. That's building our house. It has to be his house for his name. It has to be our business for his name. It has to be our family for his name. It's about him. We got to get out of the confusion of where we are in the order and understand that unity matters to God. And unity happens for us with God, not by uniformity, but by oneness of vision. So some people think unity is just like everybody acting the same, doing the same, dressing the same. We have unity. No, that's not unity. That's uniformity or a cult. Unity is when we have oneness of vision, oneness of purpose. The differences in people are what make us powerful. We, we wouldn't want all of the same personality in this room. The, the body of Christ would never be built if everybody had the same gifting. It, it, it would be quite boring, quite destructive. If, if, if everybody operated like me, oh, we'd be in, we'd be in trouble. This would be the cleanest church you ever saw. Be the most organized church yet, most minimalistic church you ever saw, but there'd be no people. Right? We, we, need, we need gifts. We need people to say, hey, it's okay if that, let, let's make sure people are comfortable. Let's make sure people are loved on. Right? But I want my rose straight. Right? Like, we gotta have, we gotta have gifts. You know, this, this is crazy. It might be too far, but, but do you know that it's the differences in a man and a woman that give you the ability to bear fruit? Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity cannot bear fruit. But it is the difference in a man and a woman that makes them able to produce a child. That difference makes them fruitful. The differences in the body of Christ are what make us fruitful. But they only work when we come together. We have to come together in agreement, and we have to come together in unity, or else we'll never bear fruit. This is why a lot of churches have a lot of differences, but they don't have any fruit, because nobody is coming in agreement with what God is doing or what God is saying. In Genesis, they had the power of unity, but the wrong purpose. The right purpose is what God is doing. You know, there's, there's a lot of enemies to unity. One of the greatest enemies that I see 
in, in, in church life, in counseling, in our world. The greatest enemy, I serve on the board of a lot of different churches, and the greatest enemy I see to unity is pride. Pride. It's thinking of yourself too high or too often. I, I, I once, I, I was... This is early on in ministry, and, and uh, I was talking to one of my mentors, and, and uh, I was saying, you know, I just think that they don't think I'm a good preacher, and they're talking about me, and they whatever, and he goes, hey, I hate to, like, burst your bubble, but people don't think that highly of you to talk about you that much. <laughs> they're probably not even thinking about you. What I thought was insecurity, he exposed as pride. Because pride will mask itself sometimes in, in trying to be caring and just let you know how you're doing it the wrong way. It's pride. If you, if you can't identify fault in your own life, you probably are walking in some level of pride. If you're in an argument with someone and the only thing you can see is how they're wrong, you have pride. And if you're mad at me right now, you just confirmed it. So like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Oops, you just exposed yourself. Because an, an enemy to walking in unity is thinking that I know better. So it's not that I don't know anything. It's that when I come into unity, I come into agreement. Division is division, which means two visions. So division is just two visions, Unity is one vision where we come into agreement and we begin to walk together. Pride is often cited as the root of all sin. And it can certainly be a major obstacle to unity. When we are prideful, we put our own interests and desires above the needs of others, which can lead to conflicts and division. An enemy of unity is also disagreement. For many of us, this is difficult because we think to have unity, you can't have disagreement. That's not true. You can have disagreement and not have division, which means that means that not everyone has to operate the same way or think the same way. We can have differences, but we can align in purpose. There are majors and there are minors. I was following a, a Twitter argument between two prominent theologian like scholars and they're back and forth about what version of the Bible should be read in the church friends that's a minor we're like losing we are losing our minds and our salvation over what translation should be read and some people just need to read something there 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 is more in the Bible about loving one another than there is about exposing other people that don't think like you think. In fact, if you're not in church leadership, you're going to have a hard time finding anywhere in the Bible that tells you to go and expose false teaching. Well, that was, you just totally ruined my call. I'm the Facebook prophet. Well, now you're not, and you're going to have some unity, and you're going to have some blessing on your life. That's not, that's not your job. Yeah, but I can debate anybody. Why? What are you building? So that you can have a name for yourself? So everybody knows you as the Facebook prophet? So nobody, everybody knows that you went to seminary? Tell you what, the seminary produces the worst pastors. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I speak all over the place. Seminary produces the worst pastors. You know why usually? Because pride and disagreement 
rob me of unity. I can disagree with you and still love you and still be in unity with you. People are like, oh, we don't believe about the same, everything about the same thing. I'm out of here. Like, what? Who are you actually going to find in life that agrees with everything you agree? You're not going to find it. You just don't know them well enough. If you, if you yeah, th- th- this is why, like, when you first get married, you think you're so compatible, right? And then, and then after a couple of years, you're like, whoa, whoa. Like, I, I don't think we do that. Like, do we do that? We don't do that, right? And then you start to understand there are stark differences that you were blind to when you were dating that are very evident now that you're married. It, it, that disagreement doesn't have to cause division. That disagreement can be differences. And there are majors and there are minors. Jesus is Lord. Major. Translation of the Bible. Minor. Presence of God in our services. Major. Length of services, minor. Worship to God, major. Volume of worship to God, minor. Just trying to help somebody out here. If we understood how important unity was to God, it would change the way that we live. Unity is a big deal to God. Pride gets in the way. Disagreement gets in the way. This is a tough one. Unforgiveness gets in the way. Forgiveness is essential in maintaining unity in any relationship. If you have not made space for someone to be human, then they're going to disappoint you. If you have deified your spouse or your pastor, or your parents, it is only a matter of time before you come back to reality and realize they're human just like you. So if you don't carry the spirit of forgiveness, then they live in your mind and your heart rent-free. Now this is where I have a problem. I probably have too much pride because I'm like, nobody's getting that space in my mind. I'm forgiven. I'll let it go. I'll forget that ever happened. Then God has to deal with me on my pride. Because I don't want someone else taking up space in my mind, in my heart. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. To walk in unity, it is imperative that you walk in forgiveness. That you say no to unforgiveness. That you say no to resentment. That you say no to bitterness. That you say no. Things happen. You know what we could do? We could have testimony time. And we could talk about all the hurts of each of us in the room. And they'd all be valid and they'd all be real. We probably could talk about church hurt, and we could, have, we could be here for four hours, and everybody share their experience, and all of them would be valid, and all of them would be true. And then the question is, now what? It's not that it doesn't hurt. It's that, yeah, it hurt. That was wrong. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to never walk in unity with a believer again? Because a bad believer did something bad? Are you never going to trust a pastor again because your last pastor was human? We, we, we got to be careful because if we're not, we will have no unity 
in the church, which is one of God's most important things, is that people would walk together in unity. We won't have it because we're so consumed either with pride or disagreements or we're consumed with unforgiveness towards people. And we've got to let those things go. I know it's easier said than done when you say to forgive someone. But I wouldn't say it with this much intensity if I didn't believe in the freedom it produces. I have people that I've had to forgive. I could take the rest of our day. And I could give you story after story of people that I've had to forgive for things that are just so terrible and so wrong. But you know what? I've experienced the freedom on the other side. Was it easy? No. Did I feel like I had a right to be offended? Yes. But I also understand the power of unity. Let let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. I think like every pastor in America should be texted this scripture, okay? Be completely humble and gentle. I'll just let that one just simmer just for a little bit. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. You know what I see? I see Christians attacking Christians so that you, you can try to convince someone to believe like you believe. Do you know why you believe the way you believe? Not because you really studied it. Just because you, were, you grew up different than they did. You grew up in a church that believed that, and they grew up in a church that didn't. And so now you try to convince each other, and you're both going to strike out, and you're both going to walk in division. Or you could just understand there's majors and there's minors. And that we got to unite on the majors. And right now there's a question in our world of what majors are. So it's important that we know what the majors are. You know what the litmus test for truth is? Not what cultural uh, ideation or cultural persuasions or voices say it is. The litmus test for truth is the Word of God. What the Word of God says is truth. So if God created the heavens and the earth, God created the heavens and the earth. If God made them male and female, God made them male and female. If, if God did miracles then, he can do miracles now. If, if God spoke then, he can speak now. If God operated through the gifts then, he can operate through the gifts now. So the litmus test of truth is not what someone's bad experience who created a theology around it now says. I've got to go back to what the Word of God says. Ephesians, it says in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So this is a true story. I have pastor friends, which I love. Hi, guys. That if a pastor does something different than them, then they'll post, you should leave that church. And I got a problem with that. Because they like to walk in some level of authority that they know exactly what every church in America should be. Did you know that there's churches in this city that I don't totally agree with everything, but we need them? And they're incre- there are amazing men of God, that pastor in this city. And I don't agree theologically on everything, but they're incredible churches raising believers and teaching them the word of God. 
So just because they don't believe the same thing that I do or they didn't stand up for the same things I stood up for, I don't get to post and say, if they didn't say it like I did, they sh- you should leave the church. And Paul like tries to address this by writing to the church at Ephesus, which are Christians, and to the Christian leaders at Ephesus, and he says, hey, just be completely humble and gentle. So this is, if, if I was going to like, if I was going to check our staff on what they were posting on social media, this is a good question I could ask them. Were you completely humble and gentle? Were you patient? Did you bear with one another in love? Let me ask you this question. Did you make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? There are people that won't talk to each other. Because one time you swept in and took my parking spot at church, and it's like, and we're gonna and we're gonna lose the unity of the spirit because I didn't get my way. You, some of this stuff it feels big, and then sometimes you just have to say it to kind of just see, like, wait, why is that stuff keeping me from what God wants to do? Let, let me let me show you this. Matthew chapter twelve, verse twenty-five. It says Jesus knew their thoughts. So just so you know, Jesus knows your thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household, city or household, divided against itself will not stand. We don't have a chance unless we're united. The world's too tough. Culture's too tough. Crisis is too tough. There's going to be too many things that come at us unless we're united. United does not mean uniformity. United means the same purpose. You know what our purpose is as a church? As the church of Jesus Christ globally, to know God and to make God known. To know God and to make, that's God. If your purpose is not to make him known, if your purpose is not to make something or build something that's a name for it, it is going to be difficult for you to walk in unity. But what would happen in a church if we said our businesses are yours Lord our families are yours Lord we're going to build this thing for you I was, I was golfing with a guy uh, a couple months ago and uh, he was very successful uh, in business and he just, he just sold his company for just a crazy amount of money and I said Man, what, what, why did you sell he's, he's younger than I am he sold his company and, and uh, I said why did you sell like, you still had so much room to go. He goes, yeah, I made enough money, and I was set. So I wanted to sell that, and I now have started another business that is only to fund the kingdom. And he said, so I'm living off the residual of what I've already made. He goes, I'm taken care of. I'm blessed. And now I'm taking that money, and I've started these companies with these. He has four other people, that, four other business guys that all sold companies or left companies to come together to form one company that they could build to fund the kingdom of God. You know what they're saying? They're saying, Lord, we're going we're gonna to build something for you. We, we are going to lean in, and we're going to build something for you. We're going to make your name famous by what we build. We're not building this so we're known. We're not building this so we're famous. We're building this so people see you. You know, Psalm 133, it says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let me help all the families out there. How good and pleasant it is 
when your family lives together in unity. Take a look. Your kids. Anybody love spring break? It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. These two things represent the anointing, and it represents the refreshing or the replenishing. The dew falls on the ground, and it it causes things to grow. It says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Another translation says this, God commands his blessing. What happens if we shout and the walls fall down and then you think you should go in and I think I should go get a water break and someone else is mad that the fault and the walls didn't fall on the second day and someone else is mad that your shout was too loud and they couldn't shout and nobody heard them and somebody else is mad that they got to blow the trumpet and you had to shout and, and the walls are down. But nobody can take the city. I just, I just wonder, not just our church, just the global church. I, I just wonder if there's a lack of unity that is keeping us from walking in lockstep to, to know God and to make him known. I'll close with this. This is pretty cool. Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the early church. It's the beginning of the early church. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Acts chapter 2 says they were all together in one place. So they were together in unity, right? Jesus said, I want you to wait for the gift that I promised. So for 40 days, they waited. 50 days, they waited. On the 50th day, the power of the Holy Spirit comes. says that the Holy Spirit filled all of them. How many of them? All of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So watch this. In the beginning, when their purpose was to build a name for themselves, God confused their language. And then in the upper room, when God birthed the early church, when their purpose was to make him known, God gave them language. One, he took language or he confused language. One, he gave language. When your purpose is to know him and to make him known, the blessing of God comes on you and comes on your family. How blessed it is. How blessed, how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. For there, God commands his blessing. When I come in agreement with his purpose, when I come in agreement with his word, when I come in agreement with his people, the blessing of God comes on me. When I build his house, he builds my house. When I take care of his house, he takes care of my house. When my focus is not to be known, but to make him known, God begins to move. What would happen in the church of Jesus Christ if we begin to operate in unity, that we refuse to let divisions and offenses and distractions get us out of unity, but we would come in alignment and do the thing God's called us to do and be the thing God's called us to be. It says everyone went straight in. Every single person. No one left out. Nobody on the wayside. Nobody offended. Everyone went straight in. I was praying this morning and just looking over the the notes for today and I felt the Holy Spirit say that some of us we've come in agreement with the wrong thing. So unity is really agreement. So the way you see miracles happen in your life is you agree with what God said over your life. 
So if I got a doctor's diagnosis and God says, I'm going to be healed, I need to agree. We, we, we talk about this all the time, practical and spiritual. Do we go to doctors? Yes, God uses doctors. God uses medicine. Absolutely. But I believe that I'm healed, that I will be healed. So you choose where to put your agreement. So if I'm in agreement with God, then I'm in unity with him. If I'm in agreement with the world, then I'm in unity with them. You got to be really careful who you hang out with. Here's people that come and tell me, they say, Pastor, you know, I don't know what it is. I think it might be a gift, but people, if they have a problem with the church, whatever, they just, they find me. They find me. They just find me. And, you know, I guess I, I'm just like a welcoming heart, you know, to their wounded whatever. And I like to tell them, no, that's not a gift. You can't find it in the Bible. In fact, you're wounded. If hurt people always find you, they're finding some place of hurt in you that you're coming into agreement with. I'll prove it to you. If you come and tell me, hey, pastor, you're so empathetic, compassionate. I just, I can't stand Jamie. Did you see what, I'm like, what, what are you talking, what? Why are you talking? If I'm a welcome place for them to complain about my wife, yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's like when you lay hands on. Bible says, oh, yeah. it's a joke. Why do we think that when people want to come in disunity to God's move, that we should be the safe, welcoming place for them to say, so-and-so took my parking spot, or da 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 or God, huh, huh. No, stop, 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 stop. Are you making every effort to not break the bond of unity that comes through the spirit of peace? Are you making every effort, every effort? That's a lot. That's a lot. This is what I'm going to start telling my kids. I just thought about this right now. I'm just going to be like, did you make every effort to make your bed today? Did you make every, I mean, did we make every effort to walk in peace and to walk in unity? Why would God, why would God, why would God say that stuff about unity? You know why? You know why he doesn't want you to build something to make a name for yourself? Because he loves you so much that he knows that when you build it, you'll be dissatisfied with it. The only reason that God would ask for something from you is because he has your best interest in mind. So he says, if you build it for me, you're actually gonna be satisfied. If you walk in unity, I can bless you. But if you won't agree with my word, how can I? This is what pe people say, I don't know why God, I don't know why God didn't do this or didn't do that. Well, you've never come in agreement with anything that he said. All you do is complain about what he hasn't done. How is he ever going to heal you? How is he ever going to have breakthrough? you got to start agreeing with what God said. you got to get in agreement with the word of God and begin to say it till you believe it. I woke up with a scripture in my heart. I woke up with this scripture. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I woke up. I've been saying it all day. At first, I didn't feel it. But as the day goes on, it gets worse. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I say it till it gets into my spirit. I say it till I begin to see it. I say it till I begin to believe it. If you're not in agreement with the word of God, how is God supposed to bless you? 
when you start reading that word and you get in agreement and you begin to say it and you begin to declare it when you can't see it, something begins to happen. I was praying this week and trying to make a big decision. I just need wisdom. I was talking to somebody and they said, well, do you have faith for it? I'm like, yeah, I got faith for it. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what I, do you have faith for it? Yeah, I'm just, like, in my own strength and mind trying to figure out how it's going to, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything, is anything, but that's a lot of money. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a big project. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You got to decide if you're going to get an agreement with fear or you're going to get an agreement with faith. Are you going to get in agreement with offense? Or are you going to get in agreement with unity? Are you going to get in agreement with anger? Or are you going to get in agreement with forgiveness? You, you choose who you agree with. And when you begin to agree with God, Psalm 133 says, where he finds that unity, that he will command his blessing. You say, I don't, I don't do things to get a blessing. Well, you need to start agreeing with some blessing because you look cranky. It'll help you to be happier. It'll help you to believe good things. Even the world knows this. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's better for you to smile. It is better, it is better for you to be happy. It is better for you to be positive for your health. The world knows it. How much more when you add the power of the Holy Spirit? And I'm not just agreeing with a couple people around me, but I come in unity with a purpose in the Word of God. I'm telling you there is power that can shake a city. There is power that can reach a prodigal. There is power that can heal a body. There is power that can do things that you've never even seen possible. There is a power that can reach a generation that the world has written off. There is a power that can reach hearts that are so far from God and so cold that it would blow our minds to see them say, God can do it when we get in agreement with what he says go ahead and stand up with me all across this place